guys, this is Raketi, and I am here with Dr. Adjipong for uh, the first interview of Wiser in um, Black, We Declare War. How are you? What's up? I'm well. How are you? <laughs> I'm okay. So I guess first off, people might want to know how we know each other. So you want to tell the story? You want me to tell Do you want me to tell the story? Yeah, go ahead. So we live in the same hall in college, mm -hmm. and we also are part of a group. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't even expect you to say that. We're not even talking about that group. <laughs> okay. But um, yeah, we met in college at SUNY mm -hmm. Plattsburgh, and we've we've been friends ever since. Yeah. So, um, what did you major in in, in undergrad? In undergrad, I, I graduated a degree in biochemistry and Africana studies. Mm -hmm. Okay. And um, you went on to do what exactly? After undergrad? Yep. After undergrad, I uh, continued on to graduate school at Teachers College, Columbia University, and earned my doctorate in um, science education. Ooh. Ooh. Okay. And um, how has that experience been for you? Like, just maneuvering through the educational world, and especially being so young, like you're under, I'm not going to tell you, you're... Uh, I'm under 30. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> for, you know, for being under 30 and um, just having to maneuver through those spaces. Because I know um, even when I went to grad school, there weren't a lot of people that looked like us. No, not <laughs> at all, at all. Um, you know, fortunately for me, while I was at Columbia, I was teaching in an urban school. Mm -hmm. I was I taught sixth grade science. And that was, a, that was a great experience, one of the best experiences I've ever had in my life. Um, Columbia was a different experience, but I was, you know, fortunate enough to have a lot of mentors there. Yeah. Um, and I, I, ta I attached myself to a lot of, you know, faculty of color who helped guide me through the process and, and supported me as much as I needed it. Right. Yeah, yeah that's definitely important. I, we'll actually get back to that in a minute. But first, I want to know what piqued your interest in, in teaching education in general. Like, what prompted you? Because there are a lot of people that might stay away from, um, yeah. uh, you know, just teaching in general. Wow. Well, piqued my interest. Um, so I, I, I had a degree in biochemistry because I, I initially wanted to be a pharmacist. Oh, okay. And I wanted to be a pharmacist. I think because, I remember you saying that. Yeah, you know, pharmacists, <laughs> they make a lot of money starting. You know, you can start at 120. <laughs> And, you know, and live a very comfortable life and, you know, and have a decent job, you know, regular hours. But um, it was supposed to my junior year of college. I realized that it wasn't for me. I could have done it if I wanted to, but it, that really wasn't where my heart was. Mm -hmm. And at that point, you know, I, I was always going back to my high school and mentoring and, and, and working with students and talking about my college experience. I was doing a lot of tutoring at, at Plattsburgh. And I, I really, I, you know, I really felt the need to give back to my community. And ultimately, I think what really prompted me to, to go into education is because I had a lot of negative experiences as a child mm -hmm. in schools. And I know that a lot of people who look like me, a lot of students of color, also um, endure a lot of negative experiences and even trauma within schools. So I, I look at myself as somebody who is with who became a part of the system, try to fix the system within. Gotcha. Yeah. So while I was doing my research, I noticed that, um, I guess in an article that um, it mentioned something about urban education. Mm -hmm. You said something about ur urban education. Yeah. Like, what exactly is that for people that aren't familiar? Yeah. So urban education, like just blatantly, is, I would argue, is the, the, the educating of students of color, okay. particularly. But, you know, if you really want to get technical, we talk about urban spaces. Urban spaces are... Um, densely, densely populated communities. Mm -hmm. So like, you know, New York City is, is one, Boston, you know, big cities that have a lot of people in them. But, you know, what we find in those cities is that within um, within those schools and public schools, are, there are a large number of, of students of color. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So, um, you know, I hear a lot of people talk about the fact that um, 
and, and this is just in general, but a lot of people say that race doesn't matter. Mm -hmm. But we clearly know that it does, right. you know, from personal experiences mm -hmm. and from anybody that has been in a space where there are a lot of people that don't look like them. Yeah. Um, how have you seen that affect your students? And, and for you, does race matter? Yeah. Of so, course. of course, race matters. And um, I mean, that's, 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 that's an obvious answer to us. Mm -hmm. um, so race absolutely matters because, you know, people were enslaved because of their race. Mm -hmm. You know, people were marginalized, not having opportunities to vote in the United States because of their race. People were not declared as citizens for a long period of time because of their race. Um, and just historically, you know, race has always mattered and race has impacted people, you know, especially people of color who have been pushed to the margins of society. And, you know, how it impacts students and my students here at Seton Hall is, you know, I, I teach predominantly white students um, who live in New Jersey and they haven't really had many experiences with people of color. So they may feel uncomfortable when we have these conversations about race, because I think the, the idea is that, you know, when we talk about race, we have to be very confrontational, right? The idea okay. is that there are people who are upset and I don't think, you know, you don't have to be confrontational, right. but I think that's the perception that, that, that some of my students have. So besides, you know, instead of be, becoming confrontational, they just rather just shy away from the, the whole conversation. Um, and I, I don't encourage that because even if you're teaching in a predominantly white school, you know, you know, statistics show that, you know, the pop, you know, people, the, the, the population of people of color are only are increasing all schools across the country, especially in the, in the suburbs and the rural areas are becoming increasingly more diverse. Mm. So, you know, you're going to come across students of color with, you know, throughout your years of teaching. Right. So we need to have these conversations so that you know how to work with these students, how to engage these students and how to make these students feel comfortable within educational spaces. Yeah, I think, too, the reason why they're uncomfortable is because when they are faced with it, mm. it's at the height of something happening. Right, right. So um, I guess what would you say to people who don't necessarily have... Um, this urban education training, or even just people in general that need to navigate their way through even the workforce. Like, yeah. how, how do they navigate these conversations? Like, why do you think that they feel uncomfortable other than the fact that it might be at the height of, um, of a conversation? Like, do you think that that's something that they should bring up? Or why do you think that they feel uncomfortable? It's about non-people of color. Yes. Okay. Why do I think they feel uncomfortable? Yeah. Um... I think there's a there's a certain level of white guilt that that's that's there. It, it just in reality, I mean, it, it is what it is. Um, I I think that's there. I think, you know, in the in their experiences, they may not know how to approach the situation or the conversation. But I always like I have plenty of like good white friends, right? Mm. Who who I I, I love and, and I enjoy I, I enjoy having conversations with them. But for me, you know, the reason why I enjoy them so much is because you know. They, they understand they're coming from a, from a space where they haven't had their experiences as people of color. Mm -hmm. They recognize that and they ask questions, right? So instead of jumping to conclusions or insinuating things, they ask questions about our experiences and try to understand it. I think that, that's the most that we can do at this point is, and that's kind of the starting point. The starting point is trying to understand the experiences and realities of, of those who have been pushed to the margins of society. The next level is, you know, if you're really about this life and about this work is like, you know, how do you become an activist in, in, in a way, certain way, shape or form? That doesn't mean that you don't have to be protesting or. Right. But how are you supporting, you know, people of color to, you know, to have equitable, equitable experiences within within this country, you and, know, as as you know, and, and ultimately becoming a white ally to, to people of color. Yeah. So I think. 
the first step for them probably would be to just acknowledge that it does exist because there are a lot of people yeah. even now that that is ultimately the, yes the absolute first step <laughs> that yeah that race exists so okay yeah. um we touched on it a little bit, but you teach here at Seton Hall mm-hmm. University in what, what part of Jersey is this? This is South Orange. South Orange, New Jersey. Yeah. How has the reception been, um, like in your class to what you're teaching? And mm-hmm. then tell me, what are you teaching here? Yeah, so the um, so I'm teaching right this semester. I'm teaching a class called Culture, Community, and Schools, and we're we're just in the beginning stages of the semester. And um, I'm teaching freshmen. So what I'm finding with the freshmen is that they're very open minded, mm-hmm. um, in terms of of what they, of talking about culture, um, but it's also how you approach them, right? So I, I approach students here different than I would approach students at, at I tell you, at Hunter, at, at the graduate school there. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's really at the core, just trying to get students to understand that we're all different. Mm-hmm. Even, you know, even white people are different. They have, they have different personal identities. They have different social identities. Mm-hmm. So at the core, getting everybody to recognize that, you know, we all have differences. We all have different experiences. We all have different perspectives that we, that we view the world in and then use that as a crutch to then continue having this conversation about race and about groups of people who have been um, marginalized in society. But why is it different teaching the students here at Seton Hall mm-hmm. as opposed to Hunter? Well, because of the racial demographic, right? So having this conversation about race, you know, if I'm, if I'm talking to students who are predominantly white, who haven't experienced, had many experiences with people of color, you know, they ha- they're at a different entry point as opposed to at Hunter where I, I taught predominantly students of color mm-hmm. who, you know, or who, and people who, who grew up with people of color who right. come at a different entry point. So we can start the conversation at, at a different place there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And do you think that they're, I mean, of course they're more receptive, but do you think that they're really understanding the impact of, of certain things that, that ultimately their future students will face? Yeah. Um, no, yes and no. Mm-hmm. I, I think, you know, my freshman students understand it on a very small and granular level. But I, I, the idea is to push them to see, like, you know, the, the bigger picture and to understand the history of, you know, why we are where we are now. Right. Yeah, that's the goal. So let's talk about Hip Hop Ed. What is that exactly? So, you know, Hip Hop Ed is a nonprofit organization, community organization mm-hmm. that um, was started by Dr. Chris Emden and a bunch of other, other people in the field of education. And essentially what we do is we just... We're the intersection of hip hop and education. So the idea is that, you know, I argue, we argue that a lot of students of color identify as part of the hip hop generation. They listen to hip hop music, um, they follow hip hop aesthetic, and schools are not really incorporating any culture mm-hmm. or black culture, youth culture within school. So, you know, we argue that one of the most effective ways of teaching students of color is by utilizing their, their experiences with their educational spaces. So you mainly use it, uh, it's more so in the form of like a after-school program? Um, all. So like, you know, we have curr- we have curriculum where teachers are, are following hip-hop ed curriculum within the schools during mm-hmm. the school day. We have after-school programs where teachers are engaging in, um, you know, lyric writing, DJ activities with their students mm-hmm. um, throughout the after-school as well. And then we have like community programs where... Um, we put on like the, a big showcase once a year for students and families. So where can people find um, the curriculum and, and get in touch with you as far as like hip hop ed is concerned? And then I'll, I'll put it in the link as well. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, to learn more about hip hop ed, you can go to hiphoped.com. Okay. Um, and then there's a contact box where you can, if you have any questions, you can put some information there. We'll, we'll reply to you as soon as possible. So how has the reception been in general? Mm-hmm. Um, 
for like different faculty when you present hip hop ed? Mm -hmm. Are they very hesitant because you know, unfortunately, hip hop has like this certain yeah. um, connotation yeah, yeah. attached to it. Mm-hmm. So, how has the reception been, and how do you guys like navigate, you know, through that? Yeah, I think it's all about intentionality, right? So, you know, hip hop and mainstream hip hop has a negative connotation as being misogynistic, mm-hmm. homophobic, etc. Mm-hmm. And it, it is that, right? And I'm, I'm, I don't argue that it's not, but I argue that that's that part of hip hop is a very small piece of hip hop, and I look at hip hop as a culture. Right. Um, it's more than just a genre of music. It's 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 a it's a culture that started off as a social justice movement in the Bronx in, in the early in the early seventies. So for us to to just focus on hip hop as misogynistic is problematic. Mm-hmm. When we can be looking at you know very more broader at hip hop as a culture more generally, and, and we look I use hip hop as a culture to engage students. Right. So you know what are the cultural artifacts that we use in hip hop? Um, what are the ways that we engage within hip hop and use that within the classroom? Okay. Mm-hmm. And, um, I mean, have you done any research as far as, like, the effects of you using this mm-hmm. curriculum um, from the beginning of, like, I guess, like, the semester, yeah. the school year, um, and then at the end? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, my, dis- my dissertation study, um, I, f- I created a framework for hip-hop pedagogy, so how to use hip-hop as a tool for teaching and learning within the classrooms. And in a science classroom, then the results were remarkable. Like, students started to develop a science identity because of hip hop, you know, hip hop provided students an opportunity to challenge like school norms mm-hmm. that, you know, that they never would have challenged before. It got students to think more critically about the world around them. And ultimately the students were more engaged, right? Just like playing, just doing something small as playing music within the classroom while students are doing work is a way for students to like, just really kind of zone out. It's something that students would do at home. So like kind of bring bringing their home environment into schools, mm-hmm. but you know, I more so focus on the different elements of hip hop, like b boy, graffiti, DJ, not a self, and what was the first, what was the last one? What of self? Not not not, not of self. self uh-huh. Yep, and the MC was the first one, mm-hmm. and um, I use the I use those creative elements and, and look at teaching practices that align with those elements mm-hmm. and use those within the classroom. So, what is like a typical? Um, or like just a simple day, like using that program in the classroom. Okay. And so, and what what age range do you really um, use it for? And and like what age range have you seen like the most growth in? Yeah. So I use it. I taught in sixth grade, so middle school. Mm-hmm. But you can use you know K through twelve. Oh, any anybody can be engaged utilizing hip hop. Um, the 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 age range where I seen the the most impact would be high school students mm-hmm. because you know high school students are very. I would argue very difficult to engage because you know they're they're at a point in the adolescence where they they know what they're going to do what they want to do if they're going to engage or not or they're, or they're not at all like middle school students are still trying to at a place where you know they're open to things you know they're open to learning different things they're open to trying different things but high school students are like you know i'm either gonna go to school or i'm not gonna go to school um and we have this, the science genius program that we run in high schools across new york city mm-hmm. and across the country some space, cities in the country and we've had students who going through science genes who started off not liking science, not going to science class at all, mm-hmm. who created science raps, performed it in front of, you know, thousands of people and like felt like, a you know, like, like they were actual scientists. Right. So it's mm-hmm. really about empowering students to show them like, you know, you can do this. We all know that our students are brilliant. Right. The unfortunate thing is that they don't realize they don't recognize that. It's just how the information is presented. I think even like going to Plattsburgh, which is, you know, at that time, I mean, I'm pretty sure it still is a predominantly white school. And I mean, I think from what I understand, they've done a pretty good job at, um, mm-hmm. as far as like, 
inclusion. Yes. <laughs> yes. They have. Um, and, you know, I'm pretty sure that we're part of that inclusion in a different, mm-hmm. in a different um whatever program we came through. But for me, what I, I realized like at grad school was that um, it was just a, a, a feeling of loneliness. Yeah. Like a, a grand feeling of loneliness. Mm-hmm. For mm-hmm. me, when I went to school, I was one of two black people or one of two people of color yeah. in my entire program out of the four-year program. Right. So just talk to me about how you overcame that. I know that you said that you really bonded with mm-hmm. um, the faculty of color. Yeah. But for people like me, I didn't necessarily have that person. Right, right. The only person of color there was the secretary. <laughs> <laughs> like, I'm not even kidding. And it's like, oh, we could bond, but... How I, are you going to help me? You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, how do I navigate through this? Yeah, you know, it's hard, man. I, and I, that's the reality. I think ultimately is, you know, if you don't have people that you can you can connect with at the institution itself, you know, I think it's important to find uh, a community, right? So, like, you know, use social media to, to, to identify a community. There are many communities via Twitter um, that, that a lot of students of color kind of gather on and support each other. Mm-hmm. Maybe try to, you know, try to connect with students of color, maybe in, at a university close to yours. Right. Who yeah, are I doing something similar. Yeah. <laughs> they were, they were no universities close to us in Plattsburgh, but <laughs> you know, it's, we, the, the, the thing is that we have to be, you know, we have to be creative mm-hmm. in, in order for us to succeed because this is, I don't think the systems are meant for us to succeed. So what are, what are we going to do to be creative and, and work through these things to be successful? So that's a good leeway. So what, what are you thinking of doing or what are the things that you've done or put in place mm-hmm. in order to kind of um, ease that that void that uh, students of color uh, may f- like currently feel or may feel in the future? Like, are there any mm-hmm. programs that you would like to implement in the future to kind of um, help? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that? Um that's my that's that's my like that's my life's mission right my life's mission is like how do i uplift people in my community and um one of the things i have is i have a program called the science genes academy Mm -hmm. and the science genes academy takes students who participate in the science genes program who who are genuinely interested in science right not every student who goes to the science genes program is going to go to college and and graduate a degree in science and that's that's understandable but Mm -hmm. how do we create an avenue for students who who want to participate and want to become science or at least interested because they don't they our students don't get authentic science experience within classrooms and we look at this whole like stem technology i don't know what that is you know there there are so many jobs opening up and so many opportunities but Mm -hmm. unfortunately if our students are not engaged in science or in stem Mm -hmm. you know they're they're not going to have the credentials to obtain those those jobs or careers so with the Science Genes Academy, what I do is I take about you know five to ten students every summer, mm-hmm. and I, I identify internship opportunities for them where they have an actual science mentor, like somebody who's an actual scientist who they can connect with, and um, it's a paid internship. So they have an internship throughout the summer. What age range is this? High school students. Okay. Yeah, and you know just to give them that experience, and you know I, I've done it, and I, I've studied it, and I, I studied their experience, and they're like you know. From the idea of just having an internship to knowing, like, you know, I got to budget my money. I got to mm-hmm. make sure I have money for a metro card. Right. I got to make sure I get to work on time mm-hmm. to like, like, oh, I didn't know science was so hands on. I didn't know you could do so many different things. I, I thought science was static. I thought science was like, you know, looking at a textbook or only doing research. But like, you know, going into an actual lab and doing genetics research mm-hmm. or working at the Brooklyn Children's Museum and, and, and helping maintain and take care of the animals, right? Mm-hmm. There's so many different opportunities for our students that they're just not privy to. So the Science Academy gives them access to some of those experiences. How many years have you been doing this for? Uh, two years. Two years. Mm-hmm. 
Okay. So I guess one of my questions is like, what's your favorite grade to teach and why? But I, I feel like I probably know the answer, but, but yeah. tell me anyway. Well, favorite grade is it'll just be middle school grades. Um, I took sixth grade. Mm -hmm. I only, I've only taught the sixth grade and I like teaching sixth grade because the students come and they kind of, you know, the way that they view like their, 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 their teachers, especially the teachers who they have a good relationship with, um, it's, it's a really great age and grade to build positive relationships with students. So I like sixth grade. Mm. I like high school as well because you can build more mature relationships with students. Mm. But um, I just like, I like engaging with all youth. I can't limit it to one grade. Um, so I guess the question, my next question would be, how do we empower the next generation to pursue um, education in unlikely fields? Um, and not and, and how do we encourage them um, to not be afraid to go into different fields uh, that they might not even necessarily have heard of? Yeah. You know, especially with like the curriculum changing, like even for me, like, I, you know, we're still in our 20s and mm -hmm. I wouldn't be able to even teach my little cousin how to do second grade math because right. they've changed it. So I guess like what should we do in order to um, just make sure that they're prepared and they know um, of like the different resources that are out there for them. Yeah, I mean, that's that's the key. The key is like identifying resources. The key is identifying people who are in careers that you want, you know, you know, young people to 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 imagine themselves in. Mm. I think the idea for me as a child is that when I was a younger child, I, I knew I, I was interested in science. I never looked at science as a, as a possibility or a career for me because I didn't see people in my community who were scientists. I didn't see black scientists. Um, also, my view of science is very static. My view of science is like somebody just, you know, in, in a lab, lab oh, yeah. mixing up chemicals and, and it, you know, <laughs> somebody looking like Einstein. But like, you know, it's it's more so just being intentional in the way that we, we talk to we talk to our students and our, our youth, you know, nurses and doctors are scientists. Right. Mm -hmm. um, but like, I, I think the, the idea is I think I think a lot of many fields are, are, are becoming a, a little bit more diverse. But, you know, how do we get people to come back into the community and, right. and show students like, you know, I, I'm doing this and you can, too. This is how I did this and this is how you can do it. It's about providing opportunities and pathways and like giving students like I don't want to say the cheat code, but, you know, talking to younger students is like this is how you navigate this space. Yeah, how can we prepared? Yeah, I think people, you know, students are prepared. To, to 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 enter college, but when they get to college, they, they might they struggle, right? You know, kind of. <laughs> kind of sorry. Yeah, we, we're working on that too. Yeah. But you know, even like students of color, if you're a first generation student, you, there's nobody in the family who's going to college, and college is a completely different um, mm -hmm. space to navigate. You know, how do you go get? You know, what do you do with your with your financial aid check? Uh, mm -hmm. How do you get books? What books should you buy? What classes do you take? You know, I know many students who who are valedictorian. I know two students who are valedictorians in, of their high schools in New York City, mm -hmm. and went to college upstate New York on in, in Massachusetts. And in their first semester, got a two less than a two point five GPA. Right, they were top of their class right. in New York City, but you know, a two point five GPA, a two point four GPA is kind of like a B minus. So you are going from an A plus student to a B minus student in college. You know, so how do we better prepare our students to navigate these spaces? Yeah. Yeah. Are there any programs that you know of that? that have um i guess i guess it would be like um people in in fields that aren't very popular amongst people of color mm -hmm. do you know of any no not, you should not, start one. i should start one i got money and time um <laughs> yes no i don't know any i don't know any of it but i know there are many programs out there that that really cater to um people of color and i think that the the beautiful thing about like you know social media technology right. 
Um, I think we're in a, we're in a, also in a time in society where many people want to be entrepreneurs, mm-hmm. like even you know with their main job, which is great. And many people are starting their own nonprofit organization. Right. So, you know, there are there are many. I just don't know of them. <laughs> so, um, you do a lot of things outside of teaching yeah. here. Um, one being uh, a part of Hip Hop Ed, Science Genius during the summer. Mm-hmm. Um, is there any research that you're working on currently that you'd like to share? Yeah, um, my, the research that I'm currently working on is really how to prepare teachers to be hip hop educators, right? Because I did, you know, I, I identified as a hip hop educator, but I, I did the research to become a hip hop educator. Teachers are not being trained. You know, teachers are still not being trained to utilize students' students' culture within classrooms. So okay. understanding that they're not being prepared in that sense is that how can we provide additional training and support to teachers who want to utilize student youth culture within their classroom? So um, right now I'm looking at, I'm working with a couple of teachers in New York City and helping them become prepared to, to be to utilize hip-hop and youth culture within the classrooms to engage their students. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, and don't you, aren't you part of a podcast? Yes, yes. I have a podcast called um, Three Educated Brothers, mm-hmm. where um, myself and two other colleagues, where we talk about two other black male colleagues, where we talk about our experiences um, as black male educators. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, um, you know, the general premise of, of this, the, this audio series is that we are, you know, we're part of a revolution. We are the revolution. Mm-hmm. What are the things that um, you're doing besides the research that you've done mm-hmm. and besides... Um, Hip hop ed, mm-hmm. science genius, to be part of the revolution. I know that you're going to um, revolutionize education in the urban setting in order for um, kids to be better engaged into science. That's true. But anything else? What am I doing as part of the revolution? I'm existing. <laughs> I'm existing in this space. Um, you're actively I'm engaged, active. though, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, Everybody has their own space. Everybody has their own task within the revolution. And I think for me, it's just continuing doing the work I'm doing in educational spaces and, and really pushing for, for ed reform. Um, I don't work in policy, but I really like to work with teachers and students. Mm-hmm. So, like, you know, policy, you know, you can get change on a, on a, on a grand scale, but it takes, it'll take a long time. But, like, how if, you know, if you really want to work with students and if nothing's working for you in your classrooms and your schools, how can we support you right. and, and getting these students on the right track and getting them engaged and and when it's like love education, like how do we get students to realize that education is cool and sexy? <laughs> right. All right. So, um, and then what is the revo- What does the word revolution mean to you? Revolution means uprising. Revolution mm-hmm. means uprising, and I think revolutions occur because, you know, people who have been forgotten about, you know, intentionally, you know, isolated and and not not considered pushing them large in society they're just you know they, they, they got to a point where like you know we had enough mm. so now we're gonna start knocking on these doors that, that didn't want us to come in we're not knocking anymore we're kicking them down right yeah we are kicking them down slowly but surely <laughs> you don't want to kick the wrong door down you know <laughs> you know we don't know what lies behind these doors but yes you know um you know theoretically we are kicking we are trying to knock these doors down just mm-hmm. to, to get into an equal space to have our like to have our voices heard you know you know that's what we're doing right now what do you want to see in, in order for us to, to make that change in education? Um, you know, I'm not familiar with policy, but mm-hmm. clearly policy is like a really big, yeah. um, it's a vital part. Absolutely. Um, but is there anything that teachers can do other than like understanding the, the culture for these kids and, and applying them to the classroom? Is there anything that these teachers can do in order to kind of speed this process up 
in order to improve the way that our students um, retain the material? Um, I, yeah, I think the, the thing that teachers can do at their core is just be empathetic, mm. right? It's really just try to understand the realities and experiences of our students. Mm. So if we do that, you know, I think we'll look at students from through a different lens. And, and when I do and, and when I do my work, a lot of people think, I'm, you know, I'm only talking to white teachers. I'm talking to all teachers because mm. there are a lot of black teach, teachers of color who have the right. same biases, right? Yeah. And who unfortunately have, you know, kind of been brainwashed to think that, you know, students of color can't achieve or can't succeed. Mm. So... How do we, you know, even if a student is struggling, right, it doesn't mean that the student is 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 just going to fail. We should let, just let them fail. But if students are struggling, what do we, what, what can we do, right? What can we do within our within our limits and within our power to support all these students, all of our students, no matter what the situations are? Mm-hmm. I heard you say earlier, um, talking about white allies, and there are a lot of people that might say, especially with, with um in this realm that might say that we don't need these white allies. Uh-huh. What do you say to them? <laughs> we absolutely need white allies because somebody has talked to the cops. Um, <laughs> I'm joking. <laughs> but, you know, the idea is that, you know, if we want to enter a space where we, we want to be taken seriously, we want equality, and, you know, we, we can't just say, you know, we're going we're gonna to do this by ourselves, right? Mm-hmm. And I, I, I totally understand, I understand all the arguments um, around not having white allies. Mm-hmm. But I think that, you know, I think that there are generally, there are, there are good people who identify as white who can support, right? I don't think that they should be at the forefront of our revolution, but right. I think that there is a space for them to support. Right. So, you know, let them know what they can do to support as long as they're not the, the face of it. <laughs> you know, that's fine. What can they do to support? Tell them. Other than being empathetic, you know, empathy goes by so far. Yeah, you know, they can, they can, man. Sorry. No, it's cool. They, they need to, to be able to, they need to advocate for people of color and for, you know, the rights of people of color, um, for, for the inclusion of people of color, Mm. because ultimately, you know, the, the thing is that, you know, unfortunately, in order to have your voice heard in many spaces, you need to have credentials, right? And that's right. The, one of the main reasons why I got my doctorate degree. Mm-hmm. You know, to, to sit, to be able to have a seat at the table. Nobody's going to listen to you unless you have credentials in, in many spaces. So, mm-hmm. you know, if, if you're a person who who's, who identifies as white and you have these credentials and you, you, and you want to be an ally, you know, you can't be silent when people are having these conversations, mm-hmm. making decisions for people of color. You have to have your, you have to let your voice be heard um, in an authentic fashion uh, to support all people. <clears throat> so... You, we did undergrad, we did graduate school, you have your doctorate, and we're still kind of in the same place of um, you kind of being the only person of color mm-hmm. <laughs> in faculty meetings. How is that? Um, and, and young at that. Have you um, seen anything as far as like, not pushback, but just people that don't really take you seriously or... No, you know, I'm, I'm grateful for, you know, that here at Seton Hall, I think the faculty, they're very supportive of me, supportive mm-hmm. of me. My dean is a great dean. She, she, we have kind of a, a similar vision as we talk about education, equity in education. Um, so I haven't had much, I haven't had any pushback. Mm-hmm. I'm happy to say, I think everybody's very nice to me here. Um, but, you know, outside of education, when you go into the field and, and meet with scholars from across the country, mm-hmm. there's always push pushback about, you know, hip hop and mm-hmm. hip hop and education. But as long as we continue to do the work and we know that our work is is valuable mm-hmm. in our spaces, we just, we just got to continue. And, and, you know, the naysayers are naysayers. There's always going to be haters in whatever you do. So. So what does the future hold for you? Oh, I wish we had like a little genie bottle. We can, <laughs> we can figure it out as, now. As, as, um... 
your educational goals and, and just goals for advocating for your students mm-hmm. and just even your time here? Yeah. You know, I, I'm just going to continue doing what, doing what I do and, and just trying to gain more visibility to for the work that I'm doing right. so that it, it can reach more, right? Mm-hmm. The, I love teaching in the Bronx. That was one of the hardest things for me to let go. Mm-hmm. But I, I came into this space so I can be in a space to train teachers mm-hmm. to go out and be effective in urban spaces, right? So, you know, my goal is really to kind of build an army mm-hmm. of teachers who are about this work mm-hmm. and about, you know, increasing, you know, their racial literacy, Um you know, who care about equitable practices within schools, who really care about brown and black students and understand that brown and black students may construct knowledge differently, right? Mm-hmm. And, and and how do we teach to them, right? So like, you know, that my main goal is just building an army to do this work across the country. Sounds about right. Sounds good. I try. Well, I just want to say that I'm really proud of you. Aww. I, I carry your doctorate as if I, I was in school doing the dissertation with I, I can make you a copy. <laughs> I can make you an actual copy. Uh, but uh, I want to thank you for being a part of this. Um, I know my dad would be very like proud and happy to hear um, that you're doing the work that you're doing. So I want to thank you for being a part of this. Of and um, this is a... Uh, we declare war. I declare war. Hey. All right. Hey.